So open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. And really we're going to be looking at the fact uh, of, of the Lord's providence in a message really just appropriately entitled, It Just So Happened. Now one of the missionaries that we pray for regularly are the Heatons. And uh, last, last, late last year, November, Walter Heaton needed uh, abdominal surgery. And he went to, to uh, the abdominal doctor in Europe, and I won't say where because he needs to keep that a little cloaked for security, but you know who I'm talking about. But he needed to go to see a doctor. The doctor told him he would get him in as soon as possible, probably sometime in January, and to wait for a phone call. Well, Walter waited and waited, and there was no phone call, and he kept waiting. And finally in March, there was still no phone call. So he gets on the phone and he calls the, the hospital. Uh, where the doctor worked, and they assured him that they would call him, and he just needed to be patient. So you know how difficult it is to be patient, but he said, okay, we'll be patient. So they were patient, and they waited, and waited, and all of a sudden, now it's June that comes around. And his wife, Sonia, gets online and starts checking some details, and there are details online about you that you probably don't know, but there are details online in this particular country, about a waiting list for surgery. That's what happens in socialized medicine. So they looked at the list, and Walter's name was not on that list. So they call the doctor, doctor's office back and make another appointment. They go in to see the doctor, and lo and behold, this young doctor, who couldn't have been quite 24 or right around that, walks in. Very different doctor than the doctor they saw earlier. And he informed them that the brother doctor had retired in January. And after looking online, he said, your name is not on the waiting list at all. He said, I can get you in in June. All right, it was June 2023. And he said, I could get you in next June. June 2024. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't know why the doctor didn't didn't put your name on the waiting list. That's the best I can do. If somebody cancels their surgery, we might be able to get you in, but I, I just can't make any promises. So, you know, they went home kind of from that, kind of discouraged. But they began thinking, well, well maybe, maybe there's a private clinic that can help us. So he and Sonia began working online and began doing some research and Lo and behold, there were some private clinics that, that did abdominal surgery, the type that he needed. And, and so they began doing research. And lo and behold, it, it just so happened that they came across a, a clinic that, that specialized in, in this kind of surgery that Walter needed. And then it just so happened as they went to look at the address that it was actually in their city. It wasn't just in a country. They didn't have to go to another European country, but it was in their country and even in their city. And they didn't live in the capital of this particular country. They don't live in the capital of a particular country. And it just so happened that that particular clinic opened less than two years ago. And it just so happens that that, that doctor was the best abdominal sur- surgeon in all the country. So Walt, they make contact with him. The Walt, and it just so happened the doctor was able to get them in quite quickly to, to see him and then get the surgery scheduled. But there was a, a little complication. And 
his his surgical team was on vacation. In Europe, people go on vacation for at least two weeks, if not three. So the doctor said, well, let me work on it. Well, it just so happened he had some favors to call in. So he called in some favors from some of his friends, his medical friends. And in less than a week, Walter had the surgery that he needed to, to have. And he's healing up well. Now, I strategically placed it just so happened in there because the, the author of Ruth is going to use that particular phrase, it so happened, to help us see the subtle providence of God. It was not by luck that anything that happened to Walter happened, even the delay, but then the provision of something that he could have surgery prior to the fall semester because Walter teaches at the seminary in this particular country. So it would have been more difficult for him to have that surgery while he was trying to teach. So the Lord worked it out in the timing, the exact timing that Walter needed. That's a real life example of the subtle providence of God working in the lives of his children. He doesn't just do that for missionaries. He does that for all of his children. He does that because he promises to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. He was controlling the frustrating circumstances that Walter was dealing with. And he was controlling every circumstance, leading them, providing for them a surgeon who could care for Walter's need. Now, often we can only see the kind providence of God of God's provisions after the fact. It's very difficult to see them in the moment. But God shows us this. Uh, Looking back, if you carefully reflect upon your life, um, given enough time, you can see how God indeed does provide for you, for his people, and bring good under every circumstance. We're going to see a wonderful case of of this in Ruth chapter 2. Let's read that together. Ruth chapter 2. And I'm going to begin with the last verse of Ruth 1 to help us uh, transition to the different scene in chapter 2. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the fields of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of excellence, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one whom I may find favor in his eyes. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went, and she came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And it so happened that she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May Yahweh be with you. And they said to him, May Yahweh bless you. Then Boaz said to his young young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The young man in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the fields of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained among the morning and from morning from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Have you not heard, my daughter? Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my young women. 
Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the young men not to touch you. And if you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the young men draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, though I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you forsook your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May Yahweh fully repay your work, and may your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, May I find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken to the heart of your servant woman, though I am not like one of your servant women. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, and had some left. Then she rose to glean, and Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not dishonor her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it, that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of Yahweh, who has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and to the dead. Then Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women so that others do not oppress you in another field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So reads the word of the living God. Well, His word has much to teach us. In Ruth 2, God moves Naomi from a place of bitterness to a place of hopeful joy, through his providential, loyal love that provides what she needs and and providentially moves Ruth and moves Boaz in order to provide exactly what Ruth and Naomi need. And the Lord has given us Ruth too to give you a glimpse of how he works in each one of our lives in his providential way in his in his with his steadfast love. Uh, key terms. In the book of Ruth are faithfulness, hesed, that's the faithful, loyal love. It's very difficult to translate with one English word. It it carries uh, connotations of faithfulness, of sacrificial love, of righteousness, of righteous love. Um, Those terms come together in that term. And you not only see the term used, but you see it lived out in front of you. What does it look like? 
what does hesed, what does loyal love look like in an environment such that Ruth lives in? I'll remind you that this story took place in the times of the judges, very dark spiritual times. So it's very applicable. Right? If Boaz and Ruth can live righteously before the Lord in such dark spiritual times, you you and I can also live righteously for the Lord with with hesed, with faithful, loyal love in time the times in which we live. Right? So just continue to, to think through that in your own life, that they are examples of what righteousness looks like. Ruth 2 is, is given to us to, in order to glimpse God's providence so that we will grow in our trust of Him no matter what's going on in our life. And that's to, that's to cause us to worship Him, for us to focus on Him, trust Him, and worship Him as His children. So Ruth is written as like a play. It's written as a, as a drama. And so we're just going to follow along with what we call the, the acts within each scene. And Ruth, two, Ruth chapter 2 opens up with uh, a transition to the, to the barley field. Really, before you get to the barley field, opens up to the, the discussion between Naomi and Ruth as uh, Ruth goes out to the fields to glean. So the first thing we want you to see, the author wants you to see, is, is Yahweh's providential, loyal love to guide. That our Lord subtly guides Ruth to where he wants them. Now just point out, in verse 22, we're told that, that Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, barley is, is a grain. It's a, it's a coarser grain than wheat, and it's a bit inferior, uh, as far nutritionally than wheat, the, than wheat is. Uh, so it is sometimes fed to animals. Uh, that gives you an idea of its, its coarseness. But why would people plant such a thing? Well, not only to feed their animals, but because there's some advantages to barley. Barley was plentiful. Uh, barley grew well in soils that were saltier that, than others than than wheat would. Uh, barley could tolerate environmental fluctuations. Barley could tolerate some some drought. It didn't require as much water uh, to grow as the wheat did. And barley was typically harvested prior to the wheat. So it's a little shorter uh, germination cycle. So the barley was harvested. Remember, they're coming out of a famine where there isn't much. And you're just grateful that there's barley. Even if barley wasn't the best tasting grain, it was still food. So the Lord providentially brought them there at the beginning of harvest, a barley harvest. So uh, barley harvest typically would begin two weeks before the wheat harvest. Typically, that would be in late April and early May. Now, the Lord provides that a little bit of detail in this. The narrator provides a little detail about when they arrived, not to give us an indication of what month of the year that Naomi and Ruth came, but to tell us the Lord just providentially directed them back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. In other words, to end their famine. You know, Ruth, there's a whole whole idea that Ruth um, came back empty. The Lord's going to fill her in more than one way. And one of the ways that he does that is by bringing her, bringing Ruth back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Also, we need to note that the Lord's providence, not only of guiding the timing of when Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem, 
But we also see the providence of God in guiding the preparation of Boaz. This is really, this is where the, the author of Ruth is really just, um, he, he writes an excellent short story. And he can't contain himself. And he wants you to share his excitement. Look what he does in verse 1. He doesn't begin with like telling you about Ruth and Naomi. He tells you about whom? Boaz. He wants to let you in on a little secret that he has. In the story, Ruth doesn't know about Boaz yet. Naomi hasn't mentioned him. But verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of excellence of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The author wants to you in on his secret. And he wants you to keep that right in the back of your head as you go through the story. You know about Boaz long before Ruth does. Right? Beforehand. So Naomi had a kinsman. A kinsman is just another word for a relative. Uh, we don't use that word kin very often unless you're from the south. But that's, that's what it means. He's kin. Okay? He's family. Uh, and, and it conveys the fact that Boaz was somehow related to Elimelech. Um, so he's, he's described that way. Uh, then the kinsman is described as a mighty man of excellence. Uh, the word mighty just means great. Uh, it could, it, it could refer to, to, um, it's, it's an adjective describing whatever comes after it. And the word that comes after it is what's translated excellence, a mighty man of excellence. Now the word excellence could refer to strength, capability, skill, valor, wealth. Could refer, refer to the fact that he was a warrior. Now the word is used, there's a connection here you, you don't want to miss. The word is used in Proverbs 31 to speak of the excellent wife. It's the same word, excellent. That's not, a, he's not, it's the description. It's not, the author isn't saying Boaz is a woman. He's using the same descriptor. That, that the excellence, the characteristic of excellence that we know from Proverbs 31 about that excellent wife is now attributed to Boaz. And it's used in other places of scripture to talk about other men, but, but it's just attributed to Boaz specifically. And later Boaz will use that same very word to talk about Ruth. So again, there's a thread here through this. That there is this, that God is working through his people and his faithfulness to provide others who are faithful to provide for others. And, and that's what we see. So this kinsman is described as a mighty man of excellence, being of the family of Elimelech. Notice that his character, his characteristics, are characteristic and his family relationship are described first. Taking prominence in the story. Then the author says his name was Boaz. His name is interested, is, is named, um, last. And the fact that, that Boaz was such a, a mighty man of excellence is attributed to him. He's not mentioned very frequently in scripture, but Solomon, when Solomon built his temple, named one of the columns of the temple after Boaz. One of the columns was called Boaz. So, that's how much Boaz stands out as a righteous man who did what the Lord required and, and was an uh, example of faithfulness to him. So that's what you need to keep in your head as we progress along. 
Then I want you to see the providence of God in giving Ruth the initiative to go glean. So Ruth and Naomi returned back to Bethlehem. Wherever they stayed, whether it was Naomi's old home, um, is what it appears by the story, but we're not told. But they return empty. They don't have any food. So morning comes, and, and Ruth knows that she needs to help provide. So she takes the initiative. And she is regularly called Ruth the Moabitess. Notice that. Ruth the Moabitess. That kind of emphasizes the, the surprising nature of the complete story of Ruth. Okay? Ruth the Moabitess. The foreigner. She doesn't belong. But she does, doesn't she, in her characteristics. But that characteristic of her being a Moabitess is emphasized. And, and she says to Naomi, taking the initiative, uh, she says, let me go glean in the field. Now, now she says, go glean in the field. Now, what field? Well, Bethlehem was a walled city. That's why it's called a city. It wasn't all that big, but it was a walled city, and the walls provided protection for the, the residents of the city. Then outside those walls were were the fields. And in case you could just refer to it in a generic sense as the field. The field surrounded Bethlehem. And there were all these different individual fields, but it all kind of merged together as one. There, were, there weren't... Uh, fences in those days in Israel. Uh, so you like today we would fence off property and say, well, this is my property. That's my property. But but in larger farms, they don't even do that. They just use some kind of boundary markers. And in Israel, they, the boundary markers they used were were stones. They put up stones in certain parts of the field. And it was actually a high crime in Israel to move the boundary stones. You were not permitted to move that. And you'd get in a lot of trouble for moving the boundary stones. So when Ruth would go out to the field, she would just see barley or wheat. Uh, there were there's no field indications. There were no signs saying this is Boaz's field, um, this is Limelech's old field. There were no there's none of that. So she is going out to the fields, and remember that she doesn't know about Boaz yet. Uh, you know, Ruth hasn't said anything about Boaz. Ruth hasn't prepped her and say, "Oh, look for look for Boaz's field. It's the second field on the left." After you go out of the gate of the city, right? So she hasn't given her those kind of instructions. Now, Ruth is going out to do what? To glean. And since none of you that I'm aware of are farmers, you may not even know what gleaning is, right? Gleaning is a word that just means really just means to gather. And gleaning was a provision of God for the poor in Israel, the able-bodied poor. So God gave his people instructions not to harvest to the corners of their field. So he says in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, he says, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard. You shall gather the fallen fruit, uh, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyards. You shall leave them for the afflicted and for the sojourner. I, Yahweh, am your God. So it was God's provision that there be some some leftover stuff. They were called to purposely not be 100% efficient in harvesting their fields, to leave it. It's actually actually a very compassionate method of caring for the poor that that God instituted. So the able-bodied poor were to go work for their meal, although it would not cost them anything but labor and time but they would come away with some satisfaction of having worked, of having done something for the food that was provided for them. So gleaning was, you're just going to pick up the scraps. So whether it's the, 
the corners of the field that were left unharvested or whether it's whatever is dropped. You know, in the process of harvesting, you would drop stuff and God, God told his people, don't pick it up. Leave it for the poor. You know, in their vineyards, they were not, they were told not to harvest all of the grapes, but leave some of them for the poor. Now, why does Ruth say here in, in verse two, she says, please let me go to the field to glean among the ears of grain after one whom I might find favor in his eyes. So she, she's recognizing that she needs to find favor in the eyes of the landowner. Why, why is she doing that? I mean, if the law of Israel is you're not to glean, the, you know, the, the, you're not to harvest the edges, um, you should just be able to go in the field, right? Well, that's true. But remember that we're living, this, this story is historically in the times of what? When the judge is judged. A dark time. Hey, not everybody follows the law of God. Not everybody knows the law of God. So you've got that kind of in the mix and the fact that, that not all the Israelites are actually following God's law. But then you've also got the fact that she's a foreigner. Now, God instituted his word uh, about not gleaning, not, not harvesting everything in the field intentionally to help sojourners. Sojourners would apply that they're foreigners. But she, Ruth knew that she needed to find favor in the eyes of the landowner and, um, so that she could glean in his field. She recognized that. And although this is worded as a statement, we reckon you can see it in her just how she is dependent upon Yahweh to provide for her. She needed to find favor. Right? In other words, when you're finding favor, you're, you're finding someone who is going to be kind to you. And that's, that's what she needed. Now, Ruth needed to find favor. And it, it, the way that's worded here, it looks like Ruth is asking for permission. Indeed, she may be. Why would she be asking for permission from Ruth? Well, it, it could be just a, a polite statement, say, I'm going to take the initiative and go out. But it could be that she is actually requesting permission because she, is, she has just done what in chapter 1? You remember? What does she do? She pledged herself to Naomi. She said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But she's saying, this morning I need to go out and find us some food. So I'm not going to be here this morning. Is that okay? Right? So she is, she is looking to, to go uh, glean in the field. And Naomi provides her permission, her blessing to that. And then we come to the, to the really interesting part in verse 3. Well, not that it hasn't been interesting up to now, but, but it, we see God's providence in guiding Ruth to the field. So she went and she came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So the, the author just kind of sets in motion all that she's doing. She leaves Naomi. She goes out into the field and she begins gleaning. He just tells you she's out there. She's working. But then he gives us this interesting detail. And it so happened that she happened. To come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the family of Elimelech. Again, the, re the relationship to Elimelech is emphasized. It, and it so happened that she happened. You could actually translate this, that in her luck she lucked upon Boaz's field. Now wait a minute. Pastor, I thought you said luck wasn't a good theological term. Isn't it used here? Well, the word luck's not actually used, but it can be paraphrased that way. It just so happened. Why is the author using language that, like, I don't know, maybe an unbeliever might use? It just so happened that I ended up here. It just so happened you're here this morning. But 
why is, why is the author doing that? Well, number one, keep in mind that the author is, is we don't know who he is, but we know his characteristics. He was a man of God, and the Holy Spirit was working through him to write this text. This is inspired text. So we know that the author is not intending to communicate a message of she was just lucky that day and ended up in Boaz's field. That's not what he's doing. What is he doing? The author is setting the context like you, Ruth. He's putting you in her shoes. She's a foreigner. She doesn't know Bethlehem. She needs to find food. She knows she has to go out of the city, but she doesn't really know which field to go to. And so she's walking along and she chooses a field. We don't know how long she walked, how many other fields she passed before she walked to that particular field. We don't know. And it's not important. What's important is that that she happened upon Boaz's field. Right? That's showing us the, the really the subtle providence of God. God was guiding, guiding her to Boaz's field. Um, now, as she goes through, as she goes to the field, the reapers would have been already there. Right? And she would follow the reapers and beginning to glean what, um, uh, to glean, to gather what uh, they were leaving. So the, the whole process of, of harvesting barley would go something like this. She would send the uh, reapers in. And if you had a big field, then you would have a foreman of the reapers, like somebody who's in charge of the reapers, which we see in Boaz is actually that. So it tells us that this man was wealthy and he had a large property uh, because he had quite a, a team of, harv- of those that are harvesting or reaping uh, the barley harvest. So they would go through and they would they would grab the bundles of barley um, and then they would use, they would likely use a sickle and then it was probably made out of flint and not anything metal because metal was rare Right? It could have been made of bronze, but they would, they would cut the stalks of barley. Um, and either they would bundle them together in sheaves, or they would just drop them into piles. And then later, those that came behind them would bundle them into sheaves. So the sheaves are the term that referred to these, these bundles of, of barley heads, uh, of the, the berries themselves that would provide protein and nutrition and, and starch and all, all the nutrients they need. So they were, they were bundle all these together in what are called sheaves. And then later they would come through and pick up the sheaves and, and put them into larger bundles. And those bundles would be, be put on wagons or in baskets, sometimes on camels or donkeys and taken to a place where it was temporarily stored before then they would, um, thresh it out and it, to get to, to actually get it where you could actually eat something from it. So that gives you an overview of kind of the, the process. So she, she comes, she happens upon this field. Uh, and it, again, it's just a, a way of God showing us how subtly his providence, how subtle his providence is. You may look at your life and, and you're like, you know, I, I don't really see a God at work in my life like, like that. But as, um, other pastors have noted, God is more subtle than that. Now, God could direct you with signs from heaven, a voice from heaven. He could do all that. But he's chosen not to do that. 
He's given us his word. He wants us to be dependent upon his word. But in addition to that, God is sovereignly working all things out for the good of those who love him. Even you are called according to your pur- his purpose. That, that includes your life if you're a believer. He's working all things out. All things, really all things. I, I can't see that. But that's because you need to look more carefully. In God's wisdom, he's chosen a very subtle method to work. Not the miraculous. Sometimes he does that. Where you see his direct hand in something. But most of the time he works through his subtle providence. He's working in a hidden way. We call it the hidden hand of God. And it's that hidden hand of God that guided Ruth to Boaz's field. So again, just summarizing this first, this first act, if you will, we just see God's providential, loyal love and guiding Ruth. And that, that principle is still at work for all of his people today. You can count on that. Then, then beginning in verse four, we see act two open up. This shows us, really, it gives a picture of God's providential, loyal love that protects and provides. God's providential, loyal love that protects and provides. Now, now just notice how God um, prepared Boaz and how Boaz exemplifies righteousness, how he exemplifies Hesed, that, that loyal, faithful love that uh, is emphasized in the book of Ruth. So in verse 4, Boaz comes out to his field. Now he says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May Yahweh be with you. And they said, May may Yahweh bless you. So Boaz comes out to the field. He's coming to check on the the harvesters to see what's going on with with harvesting. And in so doing, he doesn't overlook it. His, His focus isn't on the the crop that's being harvested, his first line of concern is is his workers. Right? So he greets them. He greets the, the reapers. May may Yahweh bless you or, or be with you. So it was it was that that idea of God being with someone that would indeed provide the blessing uh to them. And so this this again is like a, a statement at the same time it shows a prayer request that, that Boaz would have. And the workers in kind return that. And they say, may, may Yahweh bless you. So you see how um, how Boaz lives out his, his faith uh, before his workers. It's integrated into his life. That God is integrated into his life. So he greets them. And he immediately takes notice of a young woman who is there. And he says, Whose young woman is this? Now, the way that that's worded might be offensive to women today. Whose young woman is this? As if she could be possessed. But but women of that day were either connected to their father or to their husbands. And so that's essentially what Boaz is saying is like, what's her relationship? He's not demeaning her in any fashion by saying, whose young woman is this? Because you see how well he treats her later. He, he, he just Whose young woman is this? Emphasizes Ruth's vulnerable status. Whose young woman is this? Well, she she belongs to Ruth, but she didn't have a, a father in the air. She had abandoned her father in order to come to Israel. She didn't have a husband. She was a widow. She was vulnerable. Now, the manager of the reapers doesn't tell Boaz her name immediately. It, it was just that she, where she, who she was, and and what she was doing there. What does he say? He says that 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 she is the young Moabite woman. Again, the emphasis there is on her foreign status. She's a young wo- wo- uh, Moabite woman. 
So we know Ruth was relatively young, and especially in comparison to probably Boaz. So she's a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the fields of Moab. So remember, there's some animosity between Israelites and, and Moabites, and there's good reason for that. We won't go into that, but there is animosity there. We, and we kind of detect that a little bit in this, this uh, supervisor of the reapers because he emphasizes that she's a foreigner. She's from Moabite. Right? She came back from the fields of Moab. But, but then he reports what, she, what she's doing there. And again, he doesn't use her name still. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she likely came early morning, found the foreman, and requested permission uh, to glean in that field. Although it's not stated, it's implied that she was given permission. And she began gleaning. Now when she says, a glean among the sheaves, so she's no, not necessarily gleaning on the edges of the field. She's gleaning between the sheaves, things that they would have dropped, right? that, that God told uh, his people not to pick up. So that's, that's the request. And, and then she goes on to say, um, uh, or the, sorry, the foreman goes on to say, and she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. So the, the Hebrew on this is, uh, not as clear as what we'd like it to be. So there's a debate about what exactly it means. But I think given the context, what's going on here is that Ruth had come, worked, been gleaned in the field, and then when Boaz showed up, she was taking a break. Now, when you say a house, what do you mean a house? A house in a field? Well, large landowners where the harvesters would be working all day long in the hot sun would put up shelters in the field. And these were shelters, not homes that you would live in. And so Ruth was likely taking a break under the shelter, um, under the roof of that shelter when Boaz arrives. And so she had been working, but at this moment she was sitting, probably the only one sitting. You know, when the boss shows up, everybody gets busy working. She wasn't because she wasn't employed by Boaz. And, and it's not that Boaz was asking her to work, but he knew his workers and he knew that she was a, a new face. Uh, in the, in the area. That's why he's asking about her. But notice how, how he replies. Um, notice how he, rep- how he replies. Um, in, beginning of verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth. So he just really shows her great kindness here. And speaking directly. He didn't just say to his foreman, oh, that's fine. Yeah, okay. And go on with his business and checking on his field. He took time to address Ruth. Because she was probably nervous about now. She's like, I got permission from the foreman. But the landowner just showed up. What's going to happen now? But we see what, what good things happen. Boaz said to Ruth, have you not heard, my daughter? Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my young women. Now, let's kind of understand what he's saying. When, when Boaz says, my daughter, he's using a respectful term. She's a Moabite, she's a foreigner. But he's using a term of respect that an older man would use at the time of a younger woman. Right? Treating her like one of them. Treating her like one of them. And the question, have you not heard, seems strange to us. 
But essentially, it's an idiom that means, listen carefully. Listen carefully, my daughter, to what, I, what I'm going to tell you. What does he tell her? Tell him. He said, do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my young women. He's like, stay in this field. Stay in this field. Don't go to another field. You're welcome here. And you're welcome to stay. And we're going to see later, he, he invites her to stay for the whole harvest. Not only the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest. God provides, right? For providentially provides Boaz to be this generous person who takes care of Ruth. And notice this, not only does he provide, but he protects. Uh, he says in verse nine, he emphasized, let your eyes be on the field which they reap. In other words, don't don't be looking for another field. Just just stay with me. Stay in my field. I'll take care of you. And he emphasizes that by saying this. He says, um, have I commanded the young men not to touch you? Why would he need to do that? Again, this is the days when the judges judged and everyone did what is right in his own eyes. A single widow in the fields, especially when she's a foreigner, could be taken advantage of, harassed. So Boaz, you could say, is, is instituting, instituting a, a, um, a, a anti-sexual discrimination policy amongst his workers. Don't touch her. Right? Don't touch her. In other words, he is providing protection for her. And he adds to that, and if you're thirsty, well, we've got water. So drink from the water jars from what the young men draw. Well, all of this is just more than Ruth can, can contain herself at this moment. Because she falls down. Look at her reaction to, to, this, pro, to this providential um, provision and protection that Yahweh provides through her through Boaz. She bowed down to the ground. Again, that might seem strange to us, but in those days, that's a way you showed respect. You fell on the ground before, uh, before the person who was showing you such kindness. She, she says there, she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and said to him, Why have, you found, have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me Though I am a foreigner. And again, that emphasis of her being a foreigner is, is weaved through here. You see in Boaz's response. All that you have, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully told me. Remember that scuttlebutt in chapter one when Ruth returns to Bethlehem and the whole city was in a scuttlebutt? Because is this Naomi? And where she doesn't want to be called Naomi, she wants to be called Mara because she's bitter. Well, all that chatter within that city, right, spread. And I'm sure the men of the city knew knew about this. And Boaz must have asked somebody, well, what's what's the scuttlebutt with with Naomi coming back? And so somebody told him. Somebody told him. Which meant Naomi had to tell them how faithful Ruth was. Ruth, I mean, Naomi was bitter, but she must have said some very kind words about Ruth because that chatter was going around the town so that Boaz had already heard about Ruth. He hadn't met her, but he had heard about her. And again, the word said, the faithful love, is not used here, but it's demonstrated in this report that, that Ruth exemplified this. 
All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully told me, how you forsook your father and your mother, the land of your birth, and came to a people you did not previously know. And then look at verse 12. And here, this, this forms one of the key statements, or key verses of all of Ruth. He says, May Yahweh fully repay your work, and may your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take they come to seek refuge. He is, he is blessing her. He's encouraging her. But he's also praying for her. She, he was impressed with Ruth's decision to leave her father and mother, leave the land she was familiar with, and come to a land she did not know. He's asking Yahweh to fully repay the sacrifices she made. Again, that's that's not prosperity gospel stuff. That's the reality. God does repay his people for their faithfulness. He does. He doesn't always do it in this lifetime. But God is faithful. He's he, he takes notice of how you serve him and your faithfulness to him. And he will repay you. So Boaz requests God to give Ruth for all the uh, to give Ruth good for all the good that she has shown to Naomi. And then he uses this expression, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Again, that's a, it's an expression we don't use today, but it, it essentially is a figure of speech that refers to a place of safety. You're taking a, a refuge under, under wings. It's a picture of a mother bird who is protecting her defenseless little chicks under her wings so that, so that any harm comes to her and not her chicks. Um, there was a, one of the sermons I listened to gave an illustration of a farmer who, um, ha, whose barn had, had burned down. And as he was walking through the ashes and ruins of that, he saw one of the hens that had not been able to get out of the barn quick enough. And so as he took his boot and turned that hen over, three chicks came out live. That hen had been able to protect those chicks hiding under the, the wings and likely body of, of that mother hen. That's an example of what Ruth was doing when she came to Israel. She was seeking refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And in a sense, by coming to the field of Boaz, she was coming under the wings of Boaz, asking for his protection as well. And, and this is a very biblical terminology in Psalm 17.8. The psalmist says, keep me as the apple of your eye, another figure of speech, but listen to this, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, 7 says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. The sons of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So again, it's connecting the idea that we find in Ruth of God's loving kindness, that hesed, that loving kindness, and wings coming under the wings of God. Now, I assure you, God does not have wings uh, angels have wings, but God does not have wings. So it's a figure of speech talking about protection. Psalm 57 verse 1 says, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Taking refuge. He's asking, the psalmist there is asking God to let him take refuge under his wings. In Psalm 61 4, uh, the psalmist there says, let me sojourn in your tent forever. Speaking to God, let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Okay? 
the reason that Boaz is so kind and the reason that Boaz is protecting Ruth under the shadow of his wings is because he is he is giving Ruth a picture, imperfect as it is, but a picture of God. God is kind and God protects all those who come to him for refuge, to come under his wing. Now, I just want to just pause there just a minute to say some of you here this morning have not taken refuge in God. And you need to. Because a storm is coming. That storm is judgment for your sins. And unless you seek refuge in God, you will be judged for your sins and condemned eternally. But I want you to see the kindness of God. Yes, God's going to judge sin. There's no doubt about that. But the emphasis in Ruth is on his kindness. He's kind. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. So he is wooing you like a a mother chick, right? Saying, come under my wings for protection. In other words, trust in him. And how do you do that? Well, it points ultimately to the fact that, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And he died for our sins. He rose again, showing that he had paid the full price for sins, the full penalty for sins, and that he has the power to give eternal life. And he promises to give that to all those who believe. He's talking about believe. It's not just uh, a fact in your head, but it's, it's trusting. It's relying upon him. So that you're relying upon Christ to forgive your sins. And to give you eternal life. And that's what it means to come under the shadow of your wings. And when you do that, then you'll be like the psalmist in, in, in Psalm 37, sorry, 63, 7, where he says, in, in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. That's a joyous place uh, where you get to experience the protection and providence of God. And that's a, exactly what Ruth was experiencing. Ruth was seeking protection under Yahweh's Wings. That's Boaz's interpretation of her actions. That that was accurate. And Ruth was seeking protection on a practical level under the wings of Boaz because he was a follower of Yahweh. Now just pause there a minute and think about that. If you move to the New Testament, what are we called to do? We're called to what? Follow Christ. Christians is a term that meant little Christ. You're to be little Christ. You're to be an imperfect. Um, you're an imperfect, but you're still called to be an example of Christ, a follower of Christ. And you might be the only Bible someone reads. So how you live your life matters. That's what Boaz is doing. He's living as an example of Yahweh by providing help to a woman in need. A, a, a distant relative, yes, but a woman in need. And God places us in our lives right? that we would do the works that he has prepared. Right? Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared works for us ahead of time that we would walk in them. Well, God had prepared Boaz to, to do this very work. To have, be in this field, to have the wealth that he did, to be able to provide. And that's what God calls us to do. To live out a simple, a simple sketch, if you will, of who our God is before others. But look at Boaz's generous provision. 
that the context here um, it implies. You look at verse thirteen. He says, "May I, may I?" She says, "May I find favor in your eyes, O Lord? You have comforted me, and indeed have spoken to the heart of your servant woman. Though I'm not like one of your servant women, she was putting herself under his servants. Who's saying, I, I'm not like them. I'm a foreigner, but you've treated me so kindly. You've comforted me. You've provided me some some security. Uh, you." Given me a, a degree of rest. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be concerned that I'm going to be um, harassed by men in the field. So she goes out and works. But then look at, at God's providence, his, his kindness, his surprising kindness even. At, at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, Ruth, 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 come here. And he invites her over to the shelter where he's his other servants have prepared a, a meal for the for the reapers, for the harvesters. And he includes Ruth. She probably didn't have any food with her because that's why she went to the field. She probably didn't have any water, but, but Boaz provided that. Now he's providing her, her food. So, so come come share. Come share with us. And she sits down with, the, with those who are harvesting. And, and he does even more than that. What does he do? This is unfathomable. This is an older man. To a younger woman, he's a wealthy landowner. She's an impoverished woman, having nothing in her name but her relationship to Naomi. He does what? He serves her. He serves her roasted grain. So perhaps some of the fresh stuff they were they were harvesting, perhaps they had beaten it out and, and roasted it for that day. So fresh stuff. And the text says that, that she ate until she was satisfied. Okay? I mean, she had lots. That's how generous Boaz was. He wasn't saying, you have a little bit. He gave her lots. And the text importantly says she had some left over. Why is that important? That's going to come into play later when she goes home to see Naomi. Because Naomi doesn't have the food that Ruth has right now. So you see, Boaz providing, he provides her so much. He knows that Ruth's not going to waste it. She's not going to be a glutton and eat it all. But she reaches a place of being satisfied, stops eating, saves the rest. For whom? For Ruth later. Right? Again. And then look at look at how, how God provides. So it says um, she rose to glean, and Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, don't dishonor her. Again, it just reminds them to treat her with proper respect. And look at verse sixteen what he does. He just makes Ruth's job a lot easier. He says, "You shall purposely pull out some of some. Out, sorry, you purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it, so she may glean and don't rebuke her." So he's saying, "Come on, just drop a generous trail for her." Right? You see, I mean, Boaz is just setting her up to go home with a with an armful of gleanings, and and that's what she does, as we know. So Ruth goes back. To Naomi, and says that she she actually she gleaned until evening. So keep that in mind. She went in the morning, and she worked until evening, and then she beat out her gleaning. So um, to to actually thresh the the barley, you had to do something to it. You couldn't just take it home. Um, you couldn't eat it like that. So you had to beat it out. So you could do it by hand, but often they would beat it with some kind of stick. There's also an implement. Um, that is that is used to to beat that to to break it apart so you get to the really the the the, the fruit of the barley the, the part you could take home 
And, and notice how much she, she took home. Um, in verse 17. So she gleaned until evening. She beat out uh, what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Now you guys don't know what an ephah of barley is. Because I didn't know what it was. And it's we still, even scholars don't know exactly how much it was. But we do know that it was about a tenth of a donkey load. A donkey could carry a lot. So what is the text telling us? She went home with a lot. And when one of the commentators uh, suggested that it was at least as much as Naomi and Ruth needed for a week. They could go at least a week. So Boaz is sending Ruth home with a, at least a week's supply of food. They don't have to worry about tomorrow or the next day or the, the day after that. Maybe they could stretch it longer, but at least a week's supply of barley, of food. So it shows, again, his loyal love for someone who is a dead relative's uh, former wife from Moab. Then Yahweh's providential love, again, gives hope to Ruth. We see that in verses 17 to 23. Um, not only was she gleaned, but she, she went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she gleaned. And she took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. There's an emphasis there that on, and she saw what she had gleaned. So here's Ruth coming home with an eva of, of barley. And, and immediately Naomi knows, wow. She sees how much she's bringing home. She's like, wow. Someone took care of you. And so if you look at the text of what she asked, um, her mother-in-law then said to her, what did you glean today? And even uh, even back up a little bit to verse 18, she took it out and gave Naomi what she had after she was satisfied. So that shows us that Ruth came home and gave that roasted grain that she had left over. She gave it to to, uh, Naomi for her supper. And her mother-in-law saw it and said, where did you glean today and where did you work? And without even waiting for an answer, she she issues a, a, a prayer blessing. She says, may he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. So she really doesn't answer where she answers with whom. But Naomi can connect the dots. Oh, Boaz's field. And Naomi, look how Naomi responds. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of Yahweh who has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and to the dead. Wow, do you see the transformation in Naomi? The end of chapter one, she's she's bitter. Because God's dealt so harshly with her. God's, God's been against me. But now you see Naomi being radically transformed by what? Just a little load of barley. But she saw that as an act, an important act, but a small act of that, that God is no, not really against her, because she she wouldn't have Ruth wouldn't have come home with that if God was truly against them. That 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 barley gave Naomi hope, and hearing that Ruth had been in Boaz's field gave her even more hope. So she she is just amazed by this. And I would say, just just point out to you, Naomi's hope-filled response. She says that that God has not forsaken His loving kindness. That's the word has said. Faithful, loyal love that that sticks, right? That continues. 
that doesn't abandon her. God has not abandoned her. And Naomi realizes that. God has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and to the dead. Who are the living? Well, that's easy. Naomi and Ruth. She sees faithfulness of God to take care of them. But she also mentions the dead. Who are the dead? Elimelech, Mahon, Kilion, her husband and her sons. Because she sees a connection and she sees a hope. And we're let in on it. And what what um, what the author said in verse 1 now comes back into the story. The man is our relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Now, a redeemer is just that, someone to deliver. And I'll explore that term with you more in a, in a future message. But it's, it's someone who rescues. And it's important that Boaz be a relative of Elimelech in order to qualify as that redeemer. And that brings hope. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And then Ruth tells, tells um, Naomi that, that Boaz not only provided so wonderfully for him, but he invited her to stay the whole harvest. The, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and that's exactly what, what happens. So she stayed by the close women of Boaz in order to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So that, that whole harvest period time, Six to seven weeks is what's represented here. Ruth's working in the fields of Boaz. Six to seven weeks. We're not told of any other more any other interactions. There's some hope there uh, that of a of a kinsman redeemer to redeem Ruth, redeem Naomi. But then at the end, he says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So there's these six to seven weeks of no interaction. So the author is setting up a little bit of suspense. What's going on? Why isn't Boaz taking the initiative and moving forward with providing for these ladies? He's providing food for them, but why not more? And we'll deal with that in chapter 3. Now the kind providence of God is, is illustrated for us in Ruth, and it's also illustrated for us in in the uh, and a true story that I want to relate to you and from the 1800s. A tavern's keeper, a tavern keeper's wife in Nottingham, England, uh, was dying of cancer. And someone had found out about it and told an evangelist about it and asked the evangelist to go, to go talk to her. And when he visited her, he found her rejoicing in Christ as her savior. Someone had beat him to the punch, so to speak. So he asked her, how did you come to know Christ? And she took out a piece of paper and handed it to him. And he looked at it. And it was a section of an American newspaper. She's in England. It's a section of an American newspaper that had printed an extract of Charles Spurgeon's sermons, one of his sermons. She had read that, whatever the extract was. And she came to faith. In Christ, just from reading the extract. And he's like, so the evangelist said, well, well, how did you get this newspaper? It's from America. She says, well, I received a package from Australia. And that package was wrapped in this newspaper. Well, the, the newspaper, sorry, the newspaper wrapped the package, just part of the packaging. And so she read it. So just, just think about that. 
Okay, so Charles Spurgeon preaches a sermon. And it's not surprising to us that people wrote it down because he was such an eloquent preacher. He's called the Prince of Preachers. Um, but then whoever wrote it down, someone then sent that message to America. And it just so happened that an American newspaper put that extract of his sermon in the newspaper. And it just so happened that that newspaper somehow ended up in Australia. And it just so happened that that newspaper with the extract of Spurgeon's sermon was used to wrap this package. And it just so happened that it actually survived and it was still readable when it arrived in England. And it just so happened that the lady, she didn't rip open the packaging, but she took notice of the packaging. And it just so happened that she actually read that. Do you see how subtle the providence of God is? Um, he works like that. Um, author and pastor and commentator Dale Ralph Davis, Davis calls us bump along providence. It's a good term. Bump along providence. You can't really see it at the time. The people in America didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know it was going to lead to this woman's salvation. The person in Australia didn't know it was going to lead to her salvation. Charles Spurgeon had no way of knowing when he was preaching in London, England, the years, at some point later, a uh, hundred miles away, uh, I think it's a hundred miles away, Nottingham to the north of London, a lady who's dying of cancer would read a sermon and come to faith. But that's God's kind, bumbling providence. And that's what he does. So as you work in your life, as you, as you go along in your life, think about that bumbling providence that's so kind of God. It's hard to think about that when you're like in Naomi's position and things are going really bad. It's easy to be bitter and to think God's against you. But he's not. Just look for his providence. Trust him that he's at work in your life. Uh, Lamentations 3.23 says, The loving kindnesses of Yahweh indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of Yahweh. Great indeed. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we just really just reflect upon uh, your your faithfulness, your loyal love, your providence. Lord, we just thank you so much for being in control of our lives, even, even in the difficult times, maybe especially in the difficult times, because we know that your hand is in it, that the suffering and the difficulties are not by accident. Lord, as we go through difficulties, when life gets chaotic, help us not to lose sight of your providence, of your kindness. Help us, Lord, to take refuge under your wings, knowing that you'll provide everything that we need in due time, that you don't abandon your people, you're always faithful, you provide, you protect, you guide us, and you give us hope. Oh, Lord, do your work in us as your people today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pulpit Ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.